0: Hey, what's going on there, Warriors? Jeff here from Warrior Life, and welcome to podcast episode number 463. So, the last several months, I've been getting schooled by a couple of my range buddies who are former SEALs on the art and science of long range precision rifle shooting. And I am hooked, <laughs> but I'm definitely still a noob. And while I'm not doing too shabby with my Remington 700 Tactical 308 rifle, it kind of looks like a Nerf gun compared with like their tricked-out custom-built pea shooters. Now, I'm not so green that I feel like some Jordash designer sniper rifle is going to make up for bad technique, but let's face it, the rifle does kind of play a little bit of a part in your ability to reach out and touch a bullseye at a thousand yards and beyond. So this week I had a chat with the Master Long Range Precision Rifle Instructor from Ghost Ring Tactical to give all of us noobs some detailed tips on getting started with the right rifle the right accessories and the right way to start training for those really long shots now this episode is loaded with specifics that you're going to want to grab something to take notes or you can just grab this week's handy one page cheat sheet covering all the main points you can download it absolutely free along with our other cheat sheets and a bunch of other training goodies from our loot locker section of our website just by going to warriorlife.com slash loot and now let's talk tactics
1: tactical firearms training urban survival close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast.
0: All right, from the looming threats of a wide-scale electrical grid blackout to an economic collapse and everything in between, for those of us who are prepping to be more self-reliant, it's not hard to imagine a world turned upside down and the chaos that's born out of it. Now, when life as we know it changes, practically overnight, the supply lines that our society as a whole depends upon, just for our basic needs to survive, will be shattered, and citizens will be forced to fend for themselves for food, water, and security in a new reality where there may be no grocery stores for food, no running water for staying hydrated, and no law enforcement or other security presence to keep the rule of law intact. This world is why we prep in the first place. And one of the ways that we prepare for these scenarios is by arming ourselves with one or more weapons that we can use to provide for ourselves and our families and protect us from the desperate masses of the unprepared who could be a threat to our stockpiles and our safety. Now for most people, any kind of firearm is gonna come in handy for keeping you and your loved ones safe. But for those looking to take their arsenal and their skills to the next level, Mastering the use of a long-range precision rifle is going to be an extremely valuable tool to have in your toolbox. Now, with the right equipment and a little bit of practice, your long-range shooting accuracy has the power to keep potential threats at bay from a much greater distance than traditional firearms, as well as give you better odds at a successful hunt to help keep yourself and your loved ones fed. Now, in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about that first important step to mastering the art of long-range rifle shooting with tips on how to pick the best rifle for your arsenal, as well as what accessories are worth your investment to help you learn faster and shoot more accurately at farther and farther distances. Hey there, Warriors. Jeff Anderson here. Welcome to the Warrior Life Podcast. And with me this week is a new addition to our network, who's an expert instructor in long-range rifle. Please welcome Micah No to the program. Mike, thanks for joining us, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff.
0: I, I know you're coming right off the tails of a, of, a, of a camp that you just had, so uh, this will be really good. I'm glad you could take a break from all of this. Um, yeah. Listen, Micah is, is new to our, our network here, but he is a veteran of the U.S. Air Force combat search and rescue teams with a five-deployment record to Afghanistan. And now that he's stateside, has gone on to provide training to civilians in defensive pistol and rifle, along with personal protection tactics for concealed carry and home defense. Now in addition to his firearms instruction, Micah is also certified SIG armor, a range safety officer, and a USPSA competition shooter. But it's his (coughs) unique prowess as a long range shooting instructor that we've got him over here today. So we pulled him away from his head instructor role at Ghost Ring Tactical to help us get started. Now for more information on Micah and the training that they provide, over at Ghost Ring Tactical, please welcome, or please go on over to visit them online at ghostringtactical.com. So Micah, I, I think to start this topic, which is kind of a, this is, I mean, it's a topic that I'll think a lot of our, our people love. They love the idea of being a sniper, right? And I've, and I've gone hunting. I've got a rifle um, made for long range. And um, I've been recently going to a private shooting range with some buddies of mine. They're Navy SEALs, and we've got a Delta guy there also, CAGS guy, and one of my friends who is the Navy SEAL brings his his sniper rifle with him, and it's been my first time with like a true precision rifle going out to the range. We've got targets set up there about 500 yards out, and um, I got to tell you, it's like after he dials everything in, it's almost just like... You just touch the trigger. It's like you don't even need any skill. It feels like you don't need any <laughs> skill. It's like the rifle just does all of the work, and it's just it's it's great for confidence. It's great for uh, bragging rights. But I know there's more to it. And in fact, in our conversations about it, like all of our, all of our friends, it's like if you if you're just focused in on the rifle, you really don't understand the art of sniping. Which I totally understand all that. But all that being said. The rifle is a big component of long range precision rifle. So, for those of us and I consider myself still in the newbie the newbie scenario here. So, when someone is looking at picking up a solid like first level rifle to begin training for long range shooting and they don't want to break their bank account. What specific features should they be looking for that will help them perform well under harsh conditions like the rifle will be reliable but it can also be built upon with other gear that might be needed for getting it more accurate out at longer distances.
1: Sure, sure. Um, and you know, these days, pretty much any high-quality rifle off the shelf is going to is going to be durable enough to do whatever you need it to do. Um, I think it's probably my top three things. Right, number one is going to be the caliber that you're going to be shooting. Right, what are you shooting at, and why are you shooting at it? Um, things like a 308 and a 6.5 Creedmoor are probably the two most common calibers that we see in any of our classes. Um, they're very capable rounds for self-defense, for hunting, for training. Um, and then next would be the modularity of the rifle. So we'll get into this a little bit more, but whether you're getting a fixed stock or a chassis rifle system is going to play into that, um, As well, I think lastly will be the the fitment or what's known as the footprint of the rifle. Um, This refers to basically where the screws mount up and and sort of the layout of the rifle. Um, There's common uh, footprints like a Remington 700. Uh, Many, many other rifles are based off of that footprint. Um, and that comes into the aftermarket parts where if you have some very specific or unique specialized rifle, it's going to be difficult to find the an abundance of components and availability uh, to fit that rifle. So something that's more common, um, you know, like your Glock 19 for your carry pistol, right? Everybody makes everything for a Glock 19.
0: So let's. I want to dig into these just a little bit more because um, there's definitely some... Like, let's talk about the the uh, the caliber, right? So, um, so mine's a three and for survival purposes, which is kind of like one of the angles that we're taking it with it mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, we always look at like what's what's availability going to be like, and we've seen even during times like I remember when the um, in Baltimore when there were uh, or what was it? It was actually it was bo- the Boston bombing. They shut down like all of the the guns sh- the gun stores in the area. You can buy ammunition anywhere. I mean, it, it was kind of a strange. Odd thing that happened there, but it's certainly not outside of the, what we might expect in some sort of extreme scenario here. But availability of ammunition is definitely going to be one of the things that we we look at. What is the difference between? Because um, a lot of people right now are going toward Creedmoor, and mm-hmm. honestly, I don't. Um, I worry from an outsider's perspective. I worry about kind of the availability of ammunition like that. But um, you know, three three o eight is most likely going to be. Maybe more common, maybe more easier to find out there. But what is the difference between those rounds? Like, are there any benefits, like pros and cons to, to a 308 outside of like supply under survival circumstances and, uh, and a 6.5 Creedmoor?
1: Sure. So, I, I think one, um, I think a lot of people's perspective was changed during the pandemic in terms of ammo availability. Um, where you know we heard a lot of this. Oh, uh, I'm going to have an AK because a 7.62 by 39 is going to be abundantly available. There was nothing. There was nothing that was abundantly available. So I think that's that factor needs to be taken into account long before, right? If I'm going to buy this this rifle in this caliber, I need to stockpile that ammo. Period. Point mm-hmm. blank. Um, I, I think so. The the biggest difference is between a 308 and a 6.5 Creed. Um, the 308 is a larger, heavier bullet um it's capable reliably out to about 700 to 800 yards without getting into some ballistic specifics you can you can buy different rounds that are that are better for the 308 further out um but it's a heavy recoiling round so for smaller lighter weight rifles that could be a problem um where the 65 creedmore is a much smaller bullet but it travels uh, significantly faster than the 308. so it's a flatter shooting bullet, um, and it doesn't recoil very much, which is why a lot of people like it. Um, it's a very forgiving round um, where, kind of like you talked about before, where the rifle does all the work, that's your 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, you're going to have to do as much work as your rifle is doing to mitigate and manage a 308 rifle.
0: Okay, and you were talking about modularity a little bit. Maybe maybe this is something that we get into a little bit later. But I know one of the things that when I'm kind of out there researching, people are looking at like floating barrels, and um, you know, is is it how connected is everything that it's going to be shifted? And and we're going to talk about scopes, and, and I want to talk about that separately, but. Um, is there anything on modularity as far as like an overview of what that means to people or like somebody that's new to when they're looking at a rifle?
1: Sure. Um, the analogy I like to use because everyone mostly drives a car, so we can kind of relate to that, where if you look at your baseline, you know, Ford F-150 work truck, right? Manual windows, manual seats, it's got some adjustability, right? I might be able to tilt the steering wheel. Um but then you go to the, you know, the King Ranch bougie top of the line F 150, and that's going to have nine way adjustable seats, bolster, uh, increases, heated this, movable that. Everything's adjustable. I can program all the settings. So think of a rifle the same way, right? An out of the box fixed stock rifle. You have no adjustability. Maybe you might be able to move your scope back and forth on your scope rail, and that's about it. Um, When you start getting into the chassis rifles, you can adjust your cheek height. You can adjust your length of pull. You can adjust all these different aspects. Um, And to stay along that car theme, right? If if I'm borrowing a car from a friend, say that Honda Civic, I'm going to get in that car and that seat might be pushed all the way forward and the mirrors might be panned all the way out. I'm going to have to make those adjustments to make that car fit to me, right? I sure I can drive that car, but I'm going to be scrunched in and, and moving around and not comfortable and it's not optimal. Um, I'm going to need to move that seat back, adjust those mirrors to me and make that car fit me versus trying to fit myself to that car. And we think of rifles in the same way, right? I want to be able to make that rifle fit to me. I don't want to have to compromise myself and my posture and my position to get in behind this rifle properly. I want to be able to set it up to work for me. And that's where a chassis system really comes into play.
0: That brings up uh a... I'd never thought about it like this before, but like, you know, in the military, we had, you know, with fixed iron sights, we had, we had to know what our, if we, when we were zeroing in our in our rifle, we, we needed to know what our settings were. That way, if our rifle goes down, breaks, whatever, we can grab another rifle, pick it up. And if we have, like, we can basically get it to a good enough zero just by putting in the number of ticks on front and rear sights that, okay, it's the same platform. Now I've got it back to like where my rifle was and so it should be more accurate than if i just pick it up and start shooting with it um, it's, it's it would seem it would seem beneficial to know what your fit is for your precision rifle also so under the, i'm thinking like the same circumstances in the mill. i mean i always treat everything like it's the military because <laughs> you know it's the military they knew what they in were us doing over and over and that's over that's right, right yeah we don't
1: have a choice yeah, yeah.
0: that's right um, but it, but, it, but that makes sense though, right? So if it's a survival situation and I grab somebody else's, like I've got a Remington 700, I grab somebody else's, I wonder if it's beneficial to know like how far away, like I'm, I don't know yet because it's not, like I haven't messed around with any additional settings and everything. And like I said, my friend Gov just puts it down there. It's on the sandbags, touch the trigger, boom, bullseye. But I wonder if it would be beneficial, I mean, you can speak to this, but if it would be, be beneficial to know different parts of where you are gripping the rifle, how you hold the rifle, um, distance away from glass, distance of glasses on it, like different things like that. And maybe it, maybe it's not really set up like that. But I wonder, are there any major components or major factors that can be you know what I mean? Like interconnected or triangulated or whatever to that I could go to another rifle and get it as close as possible to being accurate. Um, as, I guess as possible. I guess that's where I would leave it there. Maybe maybe there is no road, you know, there's no road there, but I'm just curious if, if, if that would work the same way.
1: To an extent. Um, so <sighs> the best way to think about it is... You know, your, your fundamentals of shooting, right, is really what's going to pay the dividends and and make you accurate behind any weapon system to an extent that that weapon system can be accurate. Right. We see all these rifles, a uh, sub MOA guarantee out of the box, and we'll get into what that means. Um, but these very, very accurate rifles, most of these rifles are more accurate than the shooters that own them. Um, and so it really comes down to the skills of the shooter that's that's going to translate into the accuracy of the rifle. So I want again, I want to set myself up for the, the highest level of success. So everything, I want to tweak everything just right for me. Well, if I was to just grab someone's Remington 700 off the ground um, or off their shelf or whatever and take it to the range and get behind it, I may not be initially as accurate as I could be, A, with that rifle and B, with certainly my rifles that are set up for me. But it's only going to take you a little bit of time to sort of figure out and work around like, OK, for me, this rifle is shooting just a little high into the right and it, I'm going to have to compensate this way or I'm going to have to make these adjustments in my scope this way without even undoing scope rings and moving things back and forth. Um, something as simple as, you know, just building up a little bit of foam on the on the buttstock to add that that proper uh, eye alignment, height alignment. Um can can be ways to do that, and again with a modular system, I can just unloosen a set screw, move that cheek piece up, and tighten that set screw again. Versus if you just handed me, you know, your grandfather's Remington in a, in a nice cherry wood stock, I'm gonna I'm gonna suffer in terms of my accuracy and my ability to employ that weapon system initially, until I kind of figure out how that works. For me, mm. and whether or not I can, you know, mitigate that by my posture and position and my shooting fundamentals to make that work better for myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, if that, that answers makes your question.
0: Yeah, it makes that makes total sense. That makes total sense. And um, you know, being able to improvise, probably, and build up like grabbing foam and making, you know, if you don't have a a cheek stock on it, you can build it up. Like having mm-hmm. ways that you can do that makes a lot of sense too. Um, you said that pretty much like any, any like rifle, hunting rifle, anything can be good enough to start with, but you want to look for those things where you can accessorize it and things like that. Are there any things that would make a bad choice for a rifle? Cause I wonder now if, you know, with everybody loves, they want to be like the tactical sniper. If there mm-hmm. are really bad brands that are being put out there that look really cool, they're pretty badass looking, but maybe don't have the right components of it. Has anybody ever shown up to your training with look what I got? And it's like the, the Fisher price, you know, model of, right. <laughs> you know,
1: right. like. Um, you know, interestingly enough, there's there are very few brands, and there certainly are brands out there um, that are I wouldn't recommend to students to buy, um, but I think that it's more what we see in class with students is they bring a mispurposed rifle, right? You'll bring a, a hunting rifle to a precision rifle class. And certainly that rifle will perform within its capabilities, but it's not going to deliver what you're looking for from it in a precision rifle class. Um, so, you know, you look at a hunting rifle, it's going to have a very thin pencil pencil barrel. Um, it's a very lightweight stock because I'm hiking this thing for miles while I'm stalking whatever animal, is, animal it is that I'm trying to shoot. Um, so I don't want, uh, you know, a precision chassis rifle or a PRS rifle that weighs upwards of 40 plus pounds, um, you know, with this massive scope on it and this bipod and I'm hauling a tripod in my pack and I've got, you know, nine different rear bags that weigh three to four pounds a piece. That's going to pay me dividends in a precision rifle class. Cause it's going to be really heavy and really stable. And I can prone out that rifle and stay there all day. But if for a hunting rifle, it's designed to take one, maybe two shots. Um, so, you know, heating up a barrel isn't necessarily a concern where we start to see accuracy deviations when barrels get warmer. Um, It's, it's built purposely for hunting, for carrying with me to make those one or two shots. And it's got to count for those one or two times, right? Versus Mm -hmm. that, you know, modular precision rifle or, you know, a battle rifle where I'm going to sacrifice maybe some range and I'm also going to sacrifice some mobility, but it's the best of both worlds, kind of somewhere in the middle kind of thing. Um, so I think that's really what we tend to see is, is people buying the wrong rifle for the intended purpose. Not so much yeah. a bad rifle.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, all right. So now that we have a good base rifle, let's start to accessorize this thing. What would be the first accessories that someone should look at choosing to be able to customize their rifle that's going to give them kind of the biggest bang for the buck on the front end?
1: Um, so... I, I'm very cautious when it comes to this this question, and we get this question all the time, right? Like, oh, how can I how can I pimp out this rifle? How can I trick this rifle out? Um, and again, and you'll this will be a common theme is I'm just going to continually harp on the fundamentals of shooting. Um, I can take a mediocre rifle and give it to uh, a very well established shooter, and they can far out shoot a mediocre shooter with the absolute top of the line best gear, right? So, um, when it comes to the gear and how to, how to upgrade or trick out your rifle, I'm very much about form and function over like Gucci cool. And like, yeah, sure. You can get some cool stuff. And it does have some form and function. Um, but for me, number one is I want a bipod. I want a bipod and maybe a rear bag. Um, that's going to increase the stability and increase the versatility of that rifle right away. Um, Shooting off of a pack or, you know, a branch or something like that is less than ideal. Um, And I think, too, to, to think about your upgrades in terms of not just your rifle, but your ability, right? Having a nice stable rifle platform on a bipod with a rear bag proned out, very rarely are we going to get the opportunity to take that shot in that position, but as a fantastic position to learn from. It's comfortable, it's stable, uh, it's consistent, and, and that's going to help me hone my skills so that when I do get to those more untraditional and non-conventional shooting positions, like off of a branch or over a tripod or over a barricade or something like that, my fundamentals are in place. I've already got that established, and now I can make those more difficult shots. So number one, bipod. Absolutely. Um, and some sort of a rear bag. Uh, And that can be as simple as stuffing a dress sock with some rice or some beans, uh, or you can go all the way up and and buy some Gucci gear. Um, Number two, I'm a a huge fan of a chassis. Um, I would, would, if you're going to buy a fixed stock rifle and then you're going to upgrade it, I would buy a chassis for it. Um, We can talk price differences between buying a chassis rifle right off the bat versus buying a fixed stock rifle and then putting it in a chassis. Um, But you get more options uh, picking your own chassis, um, and it's not necessarily any more expensive. In fact, sometimes it can be cheaper that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And then lastly, uh, it's kind of a three and a four, um, but a muzzle brake of some sort or another. Uh, will certainly help to mitigate recoil and make it a a more comfortable and tamer rifle to shoot, again, depending on your caliber. Um, And depending on what type of rifle you're buying from the get-go, a scope rail. You're going to need one. Most of them don't come with any way to attach an optic to that rifle. Um, So you're going to have to get that anyway. So I just threw it in as almost a, a mandatory upgrade.
0: Okay, well, that's that's a good place to bring it in, I think. So let's talk about the glass. Um, I got to tell you, this is the most confusing aspect of the of the of going out there shopping that um, that I've I've come across. Um, it just seems like there are tons of options for scopes um, on the outside. They almost all look exactly the same to me, other than you know gigantic, humongous ones that you know i can see all the way across the planet and <laughs> at night and you know aliens i can see i can see anything with this thing but they right. a lot of these sco- they just look the same but the price tags are all over the place like it's not hard to find a scope that looks badass that is like next to nothing off of just like amazon so what uh, and it was funny because i was just talking with um, one of my one of my seal buddies and he was saying that he had a guy that brought this really nice rifle with him and like the scope was like 20 bucks because the guy just didn't think he's like, I don't like, what do I, I just, I have the rifle. Like the scope is just, it's a reticle. Like I just right. need to know where to point this thing. So what should shooters be looking for when they are picking out a good soap uh, scope for their, for a long range rifle?
1: Um, so again, some more car analogies. I can, you can tell I'm a car guy, um, <laughs> but I would not go out and purchase a Ferrari and put Costco tires on it. Right. This is kind of the the same deal. Um, your scope is the only thing that connects you to what you're shooting at and to what you're shooting, which is your rifle. So for me, um, I would say buy the best glass that you can buy. Um, another common mistake that we tend to see, and I, I think you kind of hit on this here with the $25 scope, is that people tend to base their budget on... Um, on each piece, right? Oh, well, why am I putting a, a $4,500 optic on a $600 Remington 700? Um, one has nothing to do with the other, right? Each each upgrade, if you think about that in terms of itself, an encapsulated item by itself, that's the best way to sort of sort your budget out. Um, the, the glass just being $4,500, it's $4,500 for its own versus I'm going to be hard pressed to find a $4,500 rifle that doesn't have that diminished return over a $600 Remington. Um, So in terms of the, the glass itself, that's where a lot of the cost comes in for an optic. And really the only way that you can figure this out for yourself is just go look through them. Um, a lot of, a lot of big box stores, Cabela's, Sportsman's, Bass Pro Shop, Shields, these types of things will have a decent selection in terms of price points of what's available out there. Um, and I would challenge you go, go pick up that, you know, $3,500 Leopold Mark V and pick up the, you know, $125 Cabela's special and have the sales guy walk you out front, which most of them will do, uh, and look through the dang thing. Look, look around, see what it looks like. Um million, many, many, many lifetimes ago, I I worked for Best Buy and sold uh, home theater stereo equipment. And everyone asked me, oh, what's the best speaker? Uh, your ears are different than my ears, right? My eyes are different than your eyes. What I see is not what what you're going to see. So where you may pick different, I may not, or vice versa, right? I might see things that you don't see. So I think glass is probably the number one thing to look at, and you're not going to see that on the internet. Um, Two, I think, is going to be your magnification and your field of view. Uh, how far are you going to shoot, right? A lot of people are limited by the ranges. Like you said, your range is 500 yards. Long range is a, is a subjective term, right? Some people think that 1,000 yards is long range. There are competitions here in New Mexico we have the king of two mile. These people are shooting to two miles and, and further out, right? Their optic is going to be vastly different than an optic that I have to shoot at my thousand yard range here at Ghost Ring. Um, so I think those those things, the magnification is going to be something that's that's determined by what you're doing with that rifle. Again, the purpose behind that rifle Um, tube diameter. So how big around the scope actually is Uh, probably two of the most common is going to be a 30 mil or a 34 mil. Um, Really what that translates into is how much range adjustment you're going to have of that reticle inside the optic and how much light transmission is going to, how much light is going to get through that optic to your eyeball. Um, And that's something, especially for hunters who are shooting in low light or no light conditions uh, to consider Um, reticle. I think is is more of a preference at this point. Um, you know, mill versus MOA, we can kind of talk a little bit more about that uh, specifically, but it, it really just depends on what you like and how busy you think the reticle is or needs to be. Um, most, most days now, I think a tactical, what's known as a tactical milling reticle. Um, so something with lines of demarcation inside that reticle, not just... Uh, um, a duplex or a traditional crosshair. I need some way to range targets um, and I can't do that without a milling reticle. So not necessarily a, a mill dot, but an MOA or mill, but some sort of, it looks just basically like a ruler it's just a measuring device inside my, my reticle. I think those are probably mm-hmm. the two, two very, very similar things.
0: So is there a um, just for the complete noobs um, like MOA versus mm-hmm. uh, mill what, um, the ba- the basics of the difference between each of those,
1: the, the easiest way to describe it is just two different ways of measuring things, right? We've got inches and we've got centimeters. Um, that's really what it comes down to for mill versus MOA. Um, MOA is a more precise or a more finite unit of measurement than a mill is. They're both angular units of measurement. Um, a lot of Traditionally, it was MOA. That's what the military used. And even the military now, from what I understand, it's been a while since I've been in the military, um, is is going to the mill, the millerad reticles over the MOA reticles. Um, but MOA is referenced in measurements and units that we on this side of the pond are used to. So inches, yards, all feet, all these things translate very, very easily and very well into an MOA reticle. Whereas a millirad reticle is in your centimeters and meters, right? Well, at a hundred meters is still 109 yards away, right? It's, it's, it's the same distance away from me. It's just a unit of measure that I'm, that I'm trying to utilize. Um, So I think the, the, one of the big driving factors is who are you shooting with? What language are they speaking, right? If I'm the only MOA guy in a group of mill guys, I'm kind of going to be behind the power curve, but it's it's easy enough to learn to speak both languages and translate back and forth. Um, so I think that's going to be the the biggest driving factor to mill versus MOA is who do you shoot with and what are they shooting? Um, who are you trying to learn from? Uh, we, we teach both, right? We, we teach both languages at Ghost Ring, MIL or MOA. Um, and it, and it, it doesn't take a lot to learn to translate between the two. Um, so beyond that, I think it's really just going to be a personal, a personal preference, but the, tr- but right now the market is shifting to mill as the more popular.
0: So would it be more of an, adv- like an advantage, like, so, cause I was like with long range recon and we would do like range cards and we would have, mm-hmm. um, especially for like artillery fire and stuff, we would, we would make a drawing and we would, with lasers, be able to get the exact range out there for looking at a map. That's all going to be in in meters. So we've got you know clicks out there. So if we're using like a topographical map and range cards and lasers and things like that, would so mill would sounds like it would be a better translation for somebody that's looking at things through the eyes of like a, a soldier. You're looking at topographical maps. Seems like is that more of like a one to one type?
1: Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I'm not having gotcha. to go back and forth. Um, and even you know when I first got into this game. Um, scopes used to come with a mill optic and MOA turret, right? And that was like, I, when I bought my very first Leupold Mark IV ERT optic, I had to request special, um, scope caps on my scope from Leupold to make it mill to mill. Like it didn't make sense in my brain. Like, why would I have two different units of measurement on my optic? But that's how they used to come. Um, and i had to request specially made they were the m5 turrets from Leopold, and i had to request those special so that my turrets and my reticle would would line up would talk the same language gotcha
0: all right cool all right so uh another uh funny story about what a, a dumbass i am with our uh, long range shooting <laughs> is uh so i brought my uh the last time i was out at the range uh i brought i brought my remington with me and and i gotta say i was i was hitting pretty well at 500 with what I thought was, you know, I had everything stocked up. I've got a bipod, I've got a I've got a a, a back bag and and um my my CAGs buddy walks up and he started laughing at me. He's like, Man, I can't believe you're hitting with that ammo. And he was just kind of <laughs> laughing at me. And I still to this day, like I was too embarrassed to even ask him, like, what is it about my ammo? And uh, but obviously I'm I'm shooting beginner ammo for some reason or something. But um Actually, it was a vote of confidence, actually, for my rifle that I was even able to hit the target, I guess. But are there any specifics that shooters should be looking for when they're selecting ammunition for the rifle for longer distances?
1: Absolutely. And you and I share that exact same story uh, because I was shooting, you know, Ukrainian surplus whatever out of my first Remington 700. I'm like, I don't know why I can't hit the broad side of a barn. I guess I'm just not good at this. Um, yeah ammo ammo is a huge huge factor uh, in terms of your accuracy so uh, a few things to think about ammo right so we have what's known as the grain the bullet grain which is basically just another unit of measurement for weight right how much does that bullet weigh Um, rifles in a sense are are a living organism Um, they tend to like different things so I had a Remington 700 for myself and I had built the exact same carbon copy Remington 700 for a good friend of mine. Um, And his rifle liked 175 grain bullets and my rifle liked 168 grain bullets. Um, And there's, you know, a bunch of science behind this in terms of barrel harmonics and barrel whip and all this other stuff. And, you know, tiny little changes in in variables that can affect this. Um, But, the grain or the weight of the bullet is gonna be something that you're gonna to have to kind of play around with um and see what your gun likes. Right. I mean if you think we'll take the the you know 308 for example, um you can get down to, you know, 130, 147 grain bullets for a 308, and you can get up to 225 grain bullets for a 308. Um, they're all gonna have vastly different performance or ballistic characteristics based on the weight of that bullet and that plays into the twist rate of the barrel um, without getting into, you know, a lot of the science behind it or the ballistics behind it, um, your rifle will like a specific bullet. The most common, um, again, for 308 and 6.5 Creedmoor, for 308 is going to be a 168 grain uh, match-grade bullet. And we'll talk about match-grade here in just a second. Uh, and for that 6'5 Creedmoor, about 140 or 143 grain um bullet for, for those as well. Um, that's, that's a good starting point. And then you can sort of deviate up and down from there to kind of figure out what, what you're looking for. Um, next is going to be, uh, match grade ammo versus just your, your plinking ammo, right? Ammo that we're just practicing with. So when you think about match grade ammo and what that means, uh, and this applies again, just to your fundamentals of shooting and everything else is consistency is key. If I can do the same thing the same way every single time, that's going to inherently breed in accuracy. So my bullet is no different. So a match grade round, the tolerances and the standards of manufacture are much higher than just a regular white box plinking ammo. Um, And that's going to help you know, more consistent muzzle velocity. So that bullet's going to leave your barrel at the same speed or close to the same speed every single time. So if I have a two to 300 foot per second variance in the speed of my bullet when it leaves my barrel, that's going to impact where that bullet lands, right? gravity's a constant and pulls down on that bullet and a faster bullet is going to spend less time in the air. So if I've got this huge variance between every other round that's leaving my, my gun, it's going to show. On, on the target at the end. Um, so that's where a match grade round comes in. And yes, they're going to cost more, um, because they're, you know, they spend more time manufacturing, they have higher, not necessarily higher quality parts, but a, a higher uh, inspection standard, a higher standard for manufacturing for those uh, versus plinking rounds.
0: So is there a a kindergarten version of kind of narrowing it down? Would you recommend starting, like, with the baseline, like, let's say it's a three hundred eight. so starting with 168 grain, uh, match grade, like, get it as consistent as possible, see how your rifle performs with, with the standard bullet, and then kind of choose up or down in the grain from there? Or would you go with a different brand? Or, like, where would you go from the standard to see where you, you know, kind of narrow down what's going to, what's going to, which food your, your rifle likes the best.
1: Right. Um, Yeah. To, to an extent. Right. And again, it's going to, it's going to depend on what, what standard are you looking for? Right. For a precision rifle, you know, match shooter who's out there competing at the highest level, they're going to want some very, very precise ammo. And usually they hand load their own ammo right? They don't want any more than two to three feet per second variance in the muzzle velocity and things like that. So what is my standard of accuracy? I think is the first question you need to ask yourself. If I'm willing to, you know, I want to hit an inch at a at, a, at a hundred yards, right? That's a one MOA rifle is one inch at a hundred yards. If I can, all of my bullets in that one inch square at a hundred yards, that's my level of standard. Yeah, that's great. Then then go on from there. Um, if you want a half MOA or a quarter MOA, right? Or I just need to be able to hit the A heart size target on, you know, some big game, then that's going to determine where, what's good enough for you, right? Um, Any, any ammo, and again, this is, this is not going to be, it's, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here. Most match grade ammo um, is going to be good enough, right? Um, You can fine tune that. Uh, and so really what it comes down to is your grouping. So if I shoot a three round or a five round group at a piece of paper, how close are all of those holes? Um, and I need to be able to account for those flyers that, you know, maybe I induced a, a, a nudge into that rifle or I anticipated a shot and I pulled around and that's where that round went. So I have to be able to call that. Um, but how, how tightly can I group those rounds? Um, and that's where the, the grain of the bullet is going to come in. So if you're shooting an acceptable group for you with a certain grain of ammo, how about it. That's that's going to be where you need to be. But if you're all over the place and the big thing here is one, being able to account for every shot that you take to, to be able to call and say like, ah, that was me. That was not the ammo. That was not the rifle. I absolutely jerked that trigger. Or if you're laying behind that gun and you're doing everything the way that you're supposed to be doing like, no, I'm, my trigger press is fantastic. I'm in my natural respiratory pause. I'm doing all the things that I need to do and that ammo is all over the place. Then we can start eliminating things one at a time. Um, and this is kind of where it comes into two is you don't want to change too many things at once, right? If I'm going out and I'm buying nine different brands and 18 different grains, I have no idea. It's, it's, you know, paralysis by, by, by too many choices. By now, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, by one brand, so, you know, federal is probably your, your most common when it comes to 308 federal Sierra match King, 168 grains, grab that one. Um, and then if you're going to go up or down, stick within that range of bullet, right? Stick within the federal Sierra match King. Don't go get a Nosler, you know, 168 mm-hmm. grain Cause those bullet profiles are different between brands. Right. I could buy the same 168 grain bullet across four or five different manufacturers and they're loaded with different powders. They're loaded to different chamber pressures, all these small, subtle things that can impact the accuracy of that round. And I don't want to change so much stuff where it's like, oh, look at that. Well, what was it? Was it the ammo? Was it the day that I shot? Was it me? Um and in that same conversation, right, that again, that rifle is a, a living, growing organism. The more rounds I put through that barrel, that's gonna change, right? As that carbon builds up and the copper builds up in the barrel. And that's when we start hearing things about like shooting out a barrel or a rifle has been shot out. Again, this takes many, 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 many more rounds than as you're learning. Um, but it's something to consider that 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 the conditions that I'm shooting in, if those are changing drastically, then so too will will the trajectory and the impact of my bullet.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, Mike. I know we don't have a lot of time to go into like the how to shoot sort of uh, like that that sort of training, but but once someone has their rifle, they've 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 chosen their their base mile, they've got a few things to help them, you know, a- a- accessorize and and get more accurate, gain more distance. What are the next steps for somebody that is you know they're trying to get the feel for it and they want to begin learning? They want to get more accurate at longer distances. What's your recommendation for them to kind of start that next stage after they have their their equipment
1: and gear? Um, Well, I think you you hit the nail right on the head when you said to get the feel for it. Um, That's probably number one. It's just shoot. Start shooting. Get a feel for your rifle, right? Um, I feel that the best way for me and again, we have you know visual learners and tactile learners and people who can read a book and understand and process everything, right? But for me, I'm a tactile learner. I gotta do it. I gotta get behind the gun, see what it feels like, see what I'm doing, um, and be mindful, right? So, so just shooting is the best way to learn, in my personal opinion, uh, to as a, as a start. Um, but but not just out there making expensive noise, right? Be mindful of what you're doing. Be cognizant of how things are feeling. Um, focus on the process that you're executing and what that result is that that process is yielding. Don't don't look at where we see this all the time where guys will get behind their gun, bang, and then they'll look up over the scope looking for looking for the hole. The hole is the end result. The hole is the result of the process that that you did behind the rifle. Focus on that, and then understand what that result was that that process yielded. Don't worry about down there if i'm all over the place over here i should probably be all over the place down there right um number two i I definitely you know get some books um i'm gonna do a couple of name drops here uh but long the long range shooting handbook by ryan kleckner is probably one of the most popular most common books that we see from all of our students um I think YouTube can be a great resource. You just got to take it with a grain of salt. Um, again, there's there's a lot of stuff out there on the YouTubes uh, that is just utter garbage. Um, my one of my favorite is the um, modern day sniper um, Philip Vallejo. He's an ex uh, or is a recon, Scott recon marine, um, precision rifle shooter now. Um, but the modern day sniper, they've got some great stuff on their channel, and then. I, I tried and, and sort of go down the rabbit hole gently in the YouTube world where it's like, all right, who who is also, you know, who is Phil talking about? Who are the names that he's mentioning? Who are the channels that he's talking about? Um, and then sort of branch your way down that rabbit hole. Um, but I think those are two really good ones, the Long Range Shooting Handbook and then mm-hmm. Phil Vallejo. Um, and lastly is take a class. You know what? I think that um, I was, I know when I took my first class, I was, you know, a little intimidated and I, ah, oh, this isn't necessarily for me. And I don't know. And, um, there's only so much we can learn watching and reading. Um, but to, to go to someone who has the expertise, who has the knowledge, um, and, and not only has the knowledge, but can relay that knowledge. I know lots of phenomenal shooters who are atrocious instructors right? Who, who just can't teach. Teaching in and of itself is is a good skill set, um, is an important skill set. I need to be able to relay that knowledge that I have. And that's one of the reasons that I like Phil Vallejo, is he's a really good teacher. He's really articulate and can make these very, very complex processes make sense. Um, yeah. And I think, I think those are probably the three big things. So read, take a class and just get out there and do it. Have some fun.
0: You bring up an important point, I think, because especially when you're looking at Long distance shooting. The people that go to the go to the range, even especially probably if you're if you're a newbie, it, it, it seems to be intimidating. Like there's other people around. Like you don't want to set the target to like you want it to be a thousand yards out. So you start a thousand yards out, and it's like you might have a spotter or something. Like miss, hit, miss, like a little bit. But when we were in the military, we zero the rifle in close because we know the trajectory of the bullet also, right? Like so we mm-hmm. know where if we zero it at certain distance. Then it's going to it's going to go up and it's going to come back down at that same exact spot, sort of, um, at another certain distance. So, is there? It seems like it would be good advice for people to not think about long range shooting, as in learning it by just setting a target out a thousand a thousand meters out and starting to plink away at it, trying to get everything down. So, would you recommend that? Like, what distances should should somebody start at with a rifle? to really try to get their skills down.
1: Yeah, and, and so what you're talking about is, is ballistics and trajectory and all that stuff. Um, again, mm-hmm. I am a huge advocate for for knowledge and learning, and and I'm all about the whys, like why does something happen? Why does this do this this way? Um, the more you can understand about ballistics, the easier it's gonna make the shooting process. Um, as far as the ranges and zeros and things like that, um, the most traditional, common, and again, this you know take this with a grain of salt is going to be your 100 yards or 100 meters um there are plenty of hunters out there um who zero at 200 or 250 based on their ammo and their rifle and the even the game that you're hunting right i'm not going to make an ethical kill at 1500 yards you know shooting a you know 270 Weatherby or something i don't know i'm not a big hunter so i don't Mm -hmm. speak that language Mm -hmm. um but uh some limitations are also applied by where you can shoot Right, um, I'm luck- I'm fortunate enough out here to have a few ranges that I can shoot out to a thousand. There are very few places that I can shoot beyond that. Um, Ghost Ring is one. We're actually putting up a, a target at a mile. That's my next goal: is for me to be able to throw a six five Creedmoor out to a mile. Um, so I, I think that the the hundred yards is very very common. I think it's um, it should be you know easy as a subjective word, but easy enough to find some places that can zero, uh, to a hundred. But if all you got's 50, then yeah, get out to 50, zeroed out to 50. Um, and here's the thing too, is that everything that you do to hit your target at a hundred yards is exactly the same thing that you do to hit your target at a thousand yards. It's just a different wind call. That's really all that it comes down to. The process, right? We talked about that process behind the gun, my trigger press and my eye relief and my posture behind the rifle and my positioning. It is exactly the same at a hundred yards as it is at a thousand yards. Um, and I think some people don't realize that, right? We get so focused on like, oh, I need a thousand. Oh, I need a mile. Oh, I need two miles. It didn't matter if I was shooting a target at 25 yards. I'm doing the exact same thing behind my gun that I would at any other distance. And that's that shooting fundamentals. That's the fundamentals of shooting is the get strong and solid on the fundamentals. And then it'll, like you said, you got to just get behind the rifle and the rifle does all the work. Um, I might have to make a few little adjustments here and there in terms of wind and the environment. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's like brushing my teeth. I, I know how to brush my teeth. I don't have to think about mm. brushing my teeth. I just do it. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Mike, I really appreciate it. This is a great primer for somebody that's looking to really start to get into it and starting off on the right step and getting the right the right rifle and, and showing up to your class with a, with something that's made for that class. So that's awesome. I appreciate you taking sure. the time today. Um, listen, everybody, uh, Ghost Ring Tactical, we've had uh, Nick Ryan's on before, and uh, it's, a, it's a great course out there. Uh, they've got Barracks. I mean, it's it's quite an experience uh, just to go out there and take a class. And they have a lot of different classes out there. Micah is the head instructor out there at Ghost Ring Tactical. And definitely check out their long-range shooting class as well as all their other uh, training that they've got out there. You can go and check them out at ghostringtactical.com. And until our next show, live like a warrior.
1: survive